few years ago on TV, a commercial ran, probably started during the Super Bowl, but a commercial ran in which the scene opened with a beautiful meadow, and there in the beautiful meadow was a young girl with a very serene, sweet smile upon her face, and then it flashes to the other side of the meadow. And on the other side of the meadow, you see this very menacing rhinoceros. It begins to do the thing where they, you know, sweep the foot into the dirt and begin to prepare to charge, and it flashes to the girl, still same sweet, sweet uh, serene smile upon her face, back to the rhino who begins to charge, back to the girl, back to the rhino, the tension builds, and then it flashes across the screen, it says this, first part of a statement, it says, trust is not being afraid. And back to the commercial, the, the rhino's charging, the girl is smiling, the rhino's charging, the girl's smiling, and then soon enough, the girl just hand, holds out her hand, and the rhino comes to an abrupt stop. She still, with the same smile upon her face, just reaches out and pets the rhino. And then the second part of the phrase flashes on the screen. So not only trust is, being, is not being afraid, second part, even when you're vulnerable. Even when you're vulnerable. You say, wow, that's a dramatic commercial, right? What were they selling? They're selling insurance. They're selling insurance, right? They wanted you to, 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 to trust and, and to not feel vulnerable. And we know that's extremely important. And what a great statement they made to really describe their business. We want you to not feel vulnerable, even in something in a situation that may seem and may make you feel like you're very, very vulnerable. They said, our business can provide that trust for you. Now, we as believers in Jesus Christ, especially when we're thought uh, and, and we think of ourselves and know ourselves to be leaders, and we can face in leadership situations tremendous challenges, tremendous challenges that, that require a great deal of courage and determination, as we see from the example of Deborah today, we know that we have something greater than even an insurance company, the Lord, we have the Lord who goes before us, our source of courage, faith, and determination. And so we're going to see a wonderful example today of something that's extremely important uh, for any leader, courage and determination. And once again, and we'll say it throughout this sermon series and throughout this sermon itself, it'll probably ad nauseum, you'll get tired of hearing it, that no, uh, a, a leader isn't just someone who we all look to and say that person has a tremendous breadth uh, of leadership responsibility. Each and every one of you have responsibility in some part of being a leader. Now, you might think your leadership responsibilities are rather small, and maybe on some sort of a grand scale, they are all on a smaller side, but in God's economy, in God's scheme of things, for the believer in Jesus Christ, there are no small roles of leadership. You are an important leader, and so lest you think that, well, this doesn't really apply to me, it absolutely does. You have multiple opportunities throughout your days, throughout your weeks, throughout your months, throughout your years, to lead and to lead, most importantly, for the Lord and for his kingdom. And so we're going to see a tremendous example here of Deborah, who is an example in the face of someone like Barak, the one who she has to challenge to get out there and fight. She's a tremendous example of courage and determination. And so it says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Judges. When Ehud was dead... The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a period known as the Judges, in which God had raised up several different leaders from different stripes of the community to lead the people. He was the ultimate leader. It was a theocracy. God was in charge, but he appointed leaders, appointed leaders known as judges to go and to guide the people. 
And so Ehud was the previous judge, the previous leader of the people. There's nothing to say he was of tremendous righteousness, but nonetheless, when he left the scene, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelled in Harasheth, Hegoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And 20 years he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So again, we see here that when Ehud died, pastoring the scene, unfortunately the children of Israel reverted back again to doing evil in the sight of the Lord. What does this remind us of? It reminds us of the fact, first of all, that the natural state of humanity is brokenness. That's what the Bible tells us. We live in the midst of the world, and I've said this many times before, maybe the greatest lie in all of uh, humanity is that people are basically good. Now, I don't want to rain on your parade. I don't want to just be negative for the sake of being negative, but the biblical truth, God's truth is that we're not all basically good. But even though we're created in in his image, created good, we've fallen into sin. And we live in a state of brokenness. And so it's not surprising that the people of Israel reverted back to a state of brokenness. And what does it remind us of? Even as believers in Jesus Christ, for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, Christians today, you've given your life to Jesus Christ just like Owen Garding did. And your life has been changed and you've been born again. We still live in the midst of a broken world and our old nature still hangs around. And if we're not careful allowing the Lord to lead us each and every day, we can always revert back to a state of partial, if you will, or living out sort of a broken identity. And so what does it tell us? When we think about leadership, the most important person that you're ever going to lead is the person looking you in the mirror. That's the most important person you're ever going to lead. And guess what? That's a task that's too big for you. So fortunately... We have the Lord. And so we see that the children of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God, in his sovereignty, brought correction to them through Jabin, the king of Canaan, and his mercenary warrior commander known as Sisera. Sisera was probably a Hittite, hired by Jabin because he had great renown and, and, uh, and a great reputation of being a great mercenary commander. He was hired, and he lived in a town called Harasheth Hegoim. Jabin, the king, was an extremely important person who ruled over a collection of cities, and, and, and Sisera probably did such a good job as being a commander in waging war on Jabin's behalf that, that uh, Jabin probably gave Sisera the town of Harasheth Hegoim. That was a place where he ruled under Jabin's ultimate authority. And he was so good at what he did, not just because of his his natural skills as a commander, but he also had 900 chariots of iron. And so the children of Israel, they're cowering, right? But the question is, 900 chariots of iron, the question becomes for the believer, the follower of Jesus, and it should have been easy for us to say for the children of Israel, the question should have been a one-word question, and, and, right? Is that all he's got? Because if we're just going on our own, if we're just going and, and, and leading life on our own, that's all we've got. But guess what? For a believer in Jesus Christ, whatever leadership challenge, whatever challenge of life we face, we follow the commander, as it says in Psalm 46, 1 through 3. We follow the commander of angel armies. 900 chariots of iron were nothing for God. And so in the face of insurmountable leadership challenges that you will face in life, whether you think your leadership role is large or small, you must remember that ultimately, the ultimate trump card in it all is that you are a follower of God. 
You're a follower of God. And so we see these what seems like insurmountable odds. And then we see God's response to the prophet Deborah, prophetess. And she says, now Deborah, prophetess, the wife of, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under a palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, of Kadesh, and Naphtali, and said to them, Has not the Lord of Israel commanded? Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulon, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army. By the way, God says, I know this is going to happen. I have deployed Sisera through Jabin. Lest you think this is, they're doing this on their own. This is my judgment and my correction. God said, I am sending them, but guess what? Take, the, take your, your army and go up against them. I've, I've sent them the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and with his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver them into your hand. So Deborah calls Barak, who is the commander of Israel's army, and she says, may I remind you, God has said that he's going to deliver us. Let me remind you. God says he's going to deliver us. She was the kick in the pants that, that Barak, the commander of Israel, needed. And what did Barak say to her as, as he comes to her presence? And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. What tremendous respect he had for Deborah and what a courageous leader who displayed this courage and determination. What, uh, what a great leader she must have been. But lest we dogpile on Barak, we have to remind ourselves, right? We do sometimes live in fear. There are many times in our life that we are often more than we want to be governed by fear. What about illness? Some very serious things that are absolutely understandable fears in our life. What if you're facing a great illness? What if you're facing what looks to be the end of life somewhere here in the near distance? That's understandable to be fearful of that. What about being fearful of speaking up in a meeting? Maybe you're at your place of work. You're just fearful to speak up. Maybe you're fear, fearful of failure. You're just afraid of failing. Maybe when you think about the, the spiritual side of things, if you will, maybe you're afraid of rejection when it comes to reaching out to those that you know God wants you to speak to about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us remember not too far before this in the biblical narrative, as the children of Israel standing there at the edge of the promised land, and Joshua is leading them, and Joshua too is fearful, what does God himself say to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 9 of the book of Joshua? These powerful, incredible words. He says, have I not commanded you? God speaking directly to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go what a wonderful promise powerful promise of the lord and we'll see this kind of come back into the forefront here in just a few verses here's the good news though god still used barack god still used a fearful barack who was there he was uh he was he was wondering if it could be done the odds seemed insurmountable and luckily god used deborah to give him the courage and determination that he needed uh, to, to go out and give him exactly the, the call that he needed. And the good news to us is that even if we have shrunk in the face of fear, you are not thrown on the scrap heap of life. 
even if you have shrunk in the face of God giving you a call, giving you a challenge, maybe to speak to that person at work or speak to that person in your neighborhood, and you have shrunk back in fear, you are not thrown on the spiritual scrap heap. God uses you again. And so we see here again her response unto, unto Barak himself. And so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey that you're taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then he says here in verse, uh, in verse uh, uh, 9, continuing in, in verse 9, Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. So now we are not working for glory. We're not leading for personal glory. But when you boil that principle down to its, to, its, to its essence there, what can we lose? We can lose opportunities. If we're fearful to lead in whatever capacity God has called us to lead, if we are fearful to lead, we can miss incredible opportunities of the Lord. You know, one of the greatest sections of one of the greatest uh, speeches given by a president was this section known as the Man in the Arena by Teddy Roosevelt. Many of us have heard this wonderful section of this speech, which really captures this idea of needing to lead with courage, to step out there in the face of fear and take courageous chances, make decisions. And it says this, this a section called the man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive, who? The one who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Man, that captures it, doesn't it? Now here's the thing again. Unlike the girl with the rhino in the commercial that we opened up with, we have far more than just the courage that we find in ourselves. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ for whatever he has called you to lead, we don't have to sort of tap into some uh, untapped set of courage and, and well of courage in our own life. God himself is the source of our courage. So we see then, how do we tap into that courage? How do we tap into that courage? We see a great call to this from Deborah herself in 14, verse 14. But before we get there, another person comes on the scene. And it says here in verse 11 through 13, Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree, it's a name which is near Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to the Mount of Tabor. So Sisera gathered all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him. And they went to Harasheth Hegoim, and they went from there to the river Kishon. So this, this man, Heber, that just sort of shows up on the scene, who is actually roundabout within the camp of the Israelites, essentially, for whatever reason, uh, he, he sells them out. He sells them out and he goes to Sisera and he says, I know where they're going and I know they're mobilizing. Why in the world does he do this? Maybe it's out of his own fear, self-preservation, whatever it might be. His intentions aren't clear, but he comes on the scene and we see also some foreshadowing of how this narrative comes to fruition. 
But when we see this, we see now that God has, has, has called Barak to go up against the, the armies of Jabin and the armies of Sisera, and he does this through calling Deborah to give him exactly the motivation that he needs to be the voice of courage and determination. And here we go. The scene is being set, and what does Deborah do under the inspiration of God calls Barak in such a powerful way? Look at this, and we're going to see three different things here in verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, up. Up, with an exclamation point in my translation, up. For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The very first thing that she tells him is up, up. And what do we see here? We see our first thing. What are we called to do? In any sort of response in which it, we need courage and determination and leadership, whether, again, you think your place of leadership is small or large, what's the first thing? We need to move. We need to move. We need to move. We need to get up and get moving. Make, have a resolution. Have a resolve to do something, to be decisive. This is what Deborah was. She was decisive. Here's the thing. Leadership requires a determination to rise and to act. Leadership requires a determination to rise and to act. We see this throughout all the biblical accounts. What about Abraham? When God tells him to get up, to go from the place where you've been comfortable, where you have raised a family, and more than that, an extended, extended, extended family, and you built great wealth for yourself, he says, get up and go to another land far away, and I'm going to bless you greatly, and the whole world will be blessed through you. It took determination, and it took a desire to get up and to act. What about Joshua, as we talked about just a few moments ago, when he was standing there on the precipice of the promised land and God told him, go in and conquer the land. Go conquer the land, even in the face of great odds. What about David, when he conquered the Philistines, again in the face of great odds? What about Matthew, as we go into the New Testament? Matthew, the tax collector, that was called by Jesus Christ and he had to leave everything behind and he just stood up and he followed him. He followed Jesus you say, here's the thing, not only do we have to act and it requires determination, but leadership challenges require you to lead others in the same way, to make those same courageous decisions. So why do we not, right? Why do we not? Again, whether you think your breadth of leadership is small or large, we all have those opportunities, why do we not? I think more than anything, it is fear. It is fear, the sort of reoccurring theme that we see throughout this narrative. I think it's fear. Maybe in our, uh, our, our lives, it's just straight fear. Maybe it's the fear of man. Maybe it's the fear of failure. 2 Timothy 1.7, what are we called to do? And remember, in the face of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. What about that one that is so near and dear to all of us? I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. What is the fear of man, you say? The fear of man is being so concerned about what other people think about you or failing in, faith, in the face of others and, and, and failing in the face of possible criticism that you're unwilling to act. You're unwilling to do anything. You're unwilling to do something that requires courage, requires courage. But once again, our courage isn't found tapped within ourselves, but ultimately found within the Lord. And that's why we see almost what we would say sort of out of order here. The second thing that we see is trust. 
So move, but moving not just based upon taking a giant leap into nowhere, but upon trust, trust. What's the second thing that she tells Barak? She says, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. She says, you know God said it. You know he promised this to you. You know he is leading you. Spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership requires an unwavering faith in God's leadership. So if we are going to lead, it requires an unwavering faith in God's leadership. Now, we especially see how this applies in the midst of uh, God's call in, in, in us to go out and to lead in the world on mission for him and, 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 and make inroads into our community and reach people for the gospel. And you say, well, that's the spiritual stuff. What about the secular stuff, right? Well, in certain ways, in God's economy, there, there's technically, I guess you could say, if we're trying to be real technical and think about certain things, we might call that secular, some decisions that you're making within your uh, your business, your job, your place of work, your family, your, your clubs, your neighborhoods, whatever it might be. But let me tell you what, every opportunity for leadership for a child of God is an opportunity for spiritual leadership, everyone. Because how are you going to lead in those circumstances? Are you going to cut corners? Are you going to be a bully? Are you going to get your way? Or are you going to just try and push and push and push and get your way and leave a wake of destruction in your past? Are you going to be one, on the other hand, though, that leads with integrity, leads with honesty in the face of others that just want to kind of, you know, uh, kind of shape the truth or spin the truth. Every opportunity for leadership is an opportunity for spiritual leadership and to set an example of Christ-likeness that opens the door for the gospel, opens the door for the gospel. Spiritual leadership requires an unwavering faith in God's leadership. This requires trust in him, just as we said, trust, trust. You know, the renowned ethicist, not atheist, but ethicist, uh, John Kavanaugh, he was one that wrote a great deal of, of ethical works. He wanted to go and spend time with Mother Teresa, sort of a picture of ethics, right? Someone who lived out ethics. And he was so impressed and so uh, challenged by what he saw there that coming towards the end of his time in which he spent time serving with her, he said, um, I, I pray, would you pray for me that I'll have clarity? Clarity. Just give me clarity. And she says this, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. And she says, no. And you know what she says? She says, I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. I will pray that you have trust in God. Now we know we, it's, it's right and it's fine to play, pray for clarity and direction. We see that throughout our whole study of the book of Proverbs. But there will come a time in which you have to trust the Lord. There will, be, there will come times in your life, in just the daily living of your life or leadership situations, whatever it might be, where you have to trust the Lord, where you can't have it perfectly mapped out to eliminate all possibility of fear, to eliminate all possibility of, uh, of making a mistake. And if you believe God has called you to do this, you've got to do it. Well, once again, you say, well, pastor, that, I can see how that would, that would fit for you. You know, you're a leader of a church, and, and God would be leading you in that way in spiritual leadership. But here's the thing. You think God cares less about your life, your daily decisions, and how that affects your personal ministry than he cares about mine? No. I'm leading a church, certainly. But you are leading a mission effort wherever God has called you. That place that you work that place that you go to school, those neighbors that you work with, 
even those decisions just for that good of that company, that good of that business, the good of your life, God cares about those things. He says he numbers the hairs upon your head. He cares about you. But even greater purpose behind it all, even greater purpose behind it all is the fact that you are on mission again wherever he's placed you. He cares about your decisions just as much as he cares about mine. Move, trust, and the third thing, follow. Again, it's almost like they're out of order, but we see the teaching of all of it here together. Move, trust, and follow. She says also, has not the Lord gone out before you? So not only did God call you and tell you to do this, Barak, he has told you, and this is the God we can trust, but he says he goes out before you. Almost counterintuitive thinking. We go, we get up, and we go knowing that God has gone out before us. It's counterintuitive to think about, okay, as a leader, I follow? Absolutely. If you are going to lead effectively as a believer in Jesus Christ in whatever place it might be, whether you might call it quote-unquote spiritual or whether you call it quote-unquote secular, although we talked about those things, playing together, whatever it might be, if you're going to lead, you've got to follow and you've got to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Courageous leadership is a determination to follow God who goes before you. It's a courageous determination to follow God who goes before you. That's what your trust is based on. It's not, again, just trusting in a God who tells us to go get out there, go walk out on that limb, and we're twisting in the wind ourselves. He goes before us. Whatever that role might be, whether you think it might be large or small, move, trust, and follow. How does this work in your life? Again, you say, I don't, I don't have a whole lot that I lead. Yes, you do. What about if the entire class of your student, you know, your entire class of people in your class are making fun of a particular student? That's a big deal, right? You say, well, that's not a big deal. How does that, how does that play into to me leading something of great scope one day? If you have the courage and determination to stand up for what's right in that situation, guess what? You're going to continue to be doing that throughout your life, wherever God calls you. What about, again, if everyone at the office is cutting corners? Well, that's not, what's the big deal there? Are you going to make small decisions that lead to larger decisions of walking in courage? But God says in all of those things, whether they be large or small, he goes before you. Isaiah 45, 2, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. And we see something even greater from it from that original context it's not just in our daily decisions of life although he cares about that but knowing again for the believer in jesus christ we have far greater purpose than what we might just see on the surface when we are leading we are leading all things even what we might call secular we are leading them in a way that makes a road for the gospel so we are called to go to trust to get up to move to trust and to follow but as it continues on after this call that she gives them it says then and then the lord routed sisera big surprise verse 15 and the lord routed sisera and all the chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before barak and sisera alighted from his chariot got off his chariot and fled away on foot but barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as harasheth hegoim chased him back to his hometown and all the armies of sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not a man was left however what a twist and an unlikely character. However, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, who was the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Do you remember him? Sisera, this should have been a place of good footing for him. 
This should have been a place in which he could find a rest and he could find safety. So he fled to the tent and Jael went outside to meet Sisera, this powerful commander, and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside uh, unto me and don't tent, come, come this way. And when she had turned aside with him into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. So she said, come in here, I'll hide you. Come in my tent, lay down, I'll hide you, I'll put a blanket over you. And then he said to her, please give me something to drink for I'm thirsty. She gave him some milk, gave him something to drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. If anyone comes to inquire you and says, is there anyone in here? Uh, tell him no, tell him no. And she says, sure. Then J.L., Heber's wife, took a tent peg and, and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground for he was asleep and weary. And so he died. Big surprise. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, J.L. came out to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And they went to her tent and lay there with Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. And that day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, that king. They routed the people. They routed Sisera and his army. Even in the midst of what seemed like insurmountable odds, God routed them. They went in the power of God, and he routed Sisera and his army. And what did we see? The solution of this one who was a scourge upon the land. God bringing, bringing that problem to an end was with the unlikely source of J.L., not just one who was behind the scenes, but one who, who was there, the, the wife of Heber, who should have been the one leading in courage but made fearful decisions. God brought this problem to an end. Courage often comes from unlikely sources. Here's the thing. You say again, I, am, I can look at that guy or that guy, that lady, that lady, and say they are a leader. I'm not a leader. Courage comes from unlikely sources. You are called to lead in whatever place God has given you. And it says this in verse 24 as the narrative wraps up again. It says, And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger. Folks, listen to this. Courage breeds more courage because faith breeds more faith. If you act and you make courageous decisions, knowing, again, you're not just finding the source in yourself, but you're courageously trusting in the Lord, if you find that courage and you act in courage, guess what? It breeds more courage. Why? Because if you act in faith, it breeds more faith. Once again, ending where we began, spiritual leadership requires that courage and determination in the face of great challenge. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that there are great courageous challenges that we face daily. We face things that may be decisions in our place of business. We face decisions at school. And we say to ourselves, God, do you care about those things? And the answer is yes, you do. You say that you know when a sparrow falls. And so you, of course you care about us. You know the hairs upon our head, and so of course you care about us. You care about the daily living of our lives and the pitfalls that we find ourselves in and that we create for ourselves. You care about those things, and you want us to lead courageously. You want us to follow the wisdom of your word. And on and on and on, those things in life that, you might, that we might say to ourselves, do you really care about that? Yes, you do. 
But then even behind it all is the greater purpose in it all. That we're not just trying to be the best leaders we can at work, school, within our families, within our neighborhoods, within our civic organizations that we're involved in just for the sake of it. Although those, those things are important in and of themselves, but ultimately behind it all is that we are living in those places not by happenstance, but you have placed us there on mission for you. So God, help us to make those courageous decisions of determination, not for our glory, but for your glory alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.